Hello everyone and welcome to this episode 14 of the In Context podcast with me, Gregor Thompson. Just before we begin, if I could please ask you to like, subscribe and follow wherever you're listening to this podcast, it would mean a lot. You could also leave a good review, that would also be very much appreciated. For this episode, I spoke with someone in which it was an honour to speak to. It was one of the best conversations I've ever had and a great honour to speak to him. It was Phil Demers, who's a former professional marine mammal trainer and the subject of the documentary The Walrus and the Whistleblower, which you can watch on Amazon Prime. He's also best known for the Save Smooshy campaign. Smooshy was a captive walrus in which she imprinted on him when she was young and he, Phil Demers, became her mother. Um, this is all. This has garnered lots of attention from mass media and on social media. Um, and since that time, Phil has dedicated himself to saving Smooshy, and he is also being sued by Marineland, his former workplace, for somewhere in the region of one point five million dollars. He has been at this fight for just about nine years. So incredible guy, doing so much good in the world. Um, a complete powerhouse Um, and so yeah I'm sure you'll agree with me once you've listened to the podcast but for now please enjoy this conversation with Phil Demers. So because I've been so successful of in the last three weeks let's say in all the multi-platform sort of uh, content distribution and shares and whatnot it becomes it's an odd thing it's an odd addiction so now I'm looking for that next high I'm like okay I've got to do another TikTok video to try to compete with the one that I just put out that's got you know, that's amassed a million and a half views. And, <laughs> you know, these are the, uh, the, the ebb and flows and the highs and lows of activism. Sometimes lightning strikes. It's obviously very rare. I've had the blessing of multiple strikes. Now, to be fair, Marineland makes it a little bit easy. What with the absurdity of the way they do things and the fact that the abuse of their animals is on display. And because I'd worked there as long as I have, I'm able to very easily take a look at or, or, or rather um, uh, dispel what some of the things people are looking at actually are. And these days, it's, it's, it, the marine land's just uh, deteriorated so much so that you don't have to be an expert to see how bad things are. Well, you would think, but I, I, I imagine there's still people, there'll still be people going to marine land, there'll still be people who have the complete opposite opinion. It's still not like as horrible as it is, but it's been seven years now that you've been fighting this fight and it's still not gotten to the place where it should have been ages ago. I'm nine years into the fight. Nine years next month in the full revelation. So the public revelation. So that's when I I blew the whistle and and it it actually got into print. So made made the newspapers and then thereafter did the rounds. And remember, this is 2012. So going viral even then was like a different and new thing. It was weird, but... You know, it was international headlines that did catch the attention of the likes of Rogan and, and all these other people that, that did, at the end of the day, prove invaluable for me. Because with the, with the changing times, uh, mainstream media always controlled the message, you know, what with the uh, ad dollars and whatnot. And suddenly a guy like me with a social media and, uh, and a phone that has a camera on it can suddenly very well become my own media empire, if you will. I mean, that's a bit of a big term, but... You know, the views that I'm talking about when I when I speak of some of the content I've put out and, and the fact that it's gone viral of late, we're talking we're talking about views to the tunes of millions. Well, 
in such a case, maybe the word empire isn't exactly off the mark. Well, it'll be more than some TV shows get. Some like cable channels will get in, in a night as well. I mean, the, the, the amount of um, people that are on social media is more than how many people will watch TV news. Well, I can assure you, based on my own personal experience in the, in the nine years now of my paying very careful attention to both the response on the internet and that of on cable news or any news for that matter, um, is that cable news gets you nothing. 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 I don't know who the demographic is, quite frankly. I know on social media, I can check my own analytics to see who's watching and from where I can see. Uh, but as far as cable news goes, what I do know is there is just virtually no response. It's so strange. Or the response is such that it's not really measurable on social media because that's not where maybe people go immediately. But, but for me, the gauge of whether or not uh, something is impactful or not has everything to do with whether or not it's being discussed on social media. If it's not on the front page of Reddit, if it's not being uh, uh, disseminated on TikTok, if it's not on Instagram, if it's not, if it's not atop all of these things and trending on Twitter, then, then we're, we're talking about negligible impact and we're talking about you're not part of the zeitgeist anymore. Like you're not part of it. We had to break that mold. And that was one of the first and very uh, most important things that I'd ever, I, I suppose, done as, as a, as a would-be activist, because I, I don't even call myself an activist today, but for those who will, who will call me that, then okay, in the early days, certainly the, the moves that I made that, that gave me the greatest return on investment was to invest entirely on spreading word uh, via podcasts and social media. It was to get yeah. away from, it was to get away from uh, mainstream media because uh, I'd always gotten a blurb in the third or fourth paragraph of a five-paragraph story that had three quarters of an image of me with the most absurd headline, but much of it was just all speculative mm -hmm. um, accusations by Marineland. And then at the bottom, I would barely get a blurb in. This was not going to work for me. In this day and age, without social media and long-form podcasts, I would say uh, Marineland would be quite successful today. Would still be successful yeah. today. Yeah. Um, so before we get into the questions, there's two things I wanted to say. Um, the first one relates to what we were talking about before we were recording about um, being ambitious and getting people to getting to speak to people that you never thought you'd get to speak to before. So sure. some advice for anyone who's listening who thinks who wants to start a project or a podcast or something like this, who doesn't think you'll get someone um, with like someone like yourself who has like the fame that you have and the followers that you have. Here's my piece of advice is to just be relentless. Cause I, when was the first time I messaged you? It was maybe about a month or two ago. Oh no, it's probably a lot. It's probably longer than that. Um, and I just kept like, well, every week I was like, Hey, I'm still here. <laughs> Any chance you know, this morning, it took you to send me the zoom link for me to, 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 to just get me to, book. But, <laughs> but listen, you yeah. did. And here we are. And that's just what it is. Yeah. And you're, you, you, you gave example to me. You said, look, I started this endeavor. I didn't know where it would go. And suddenly I find myself speaking with people that I could have never imagined. But all I did was I, I, I had a relentless pursuit. I emailed people. I did this. I did that. Well, you and I are, are just the same. Uh, I did the exact same thing. And I, I, I very often mentioned Joe Rogan because literally that was the, the height of my reach or rather the, you know, the, the, that was the goal. That was the peak. And it, it's really what uh, largely sustained me throughout a, 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 an against all odds impossible fight. But I did just as you did. I would send him messages, messages, messages on Twitter. I would respond to his stuff. And finally, he slipped into my DM like, look, if uh, we got to get you on the podcast, come to L.A. I just said, just say when. 
And uh, within a month, I was in Los Angeles sitting in front of Joe Rogan. And uh, mm-hmm. my dream suddenly began to, to, to take hold. And then we're talking 2013. My dreams of actually sustaining or, or lasting a sustainable fight with against all odds versus Marineland started to seem uh, palpable. Yeah. Um, so the other the, the other thing I wanted to run by you, I just want to get your opinion on this because I, I had two ideas for what I was going to wear today, which is embarrassing that I even had the thought of what I was going to wear. But it was either this shirt. Hold on. I thought this other one would have been in poor taste. But I like the shirt. Do you think that's poor taste? It's got little orcas on it. I think that you should send me that shirt. I love that shirt so <laughs> I'm like, wow, what a shirt, dude! I was impressed with your first shirt, just first shirt, just by virtue of uh, of uh, the fact that it's very nice. It's white. I see you haven't spilled any coffee on it yet, so you're having a nice day. And I'm still in what some may call uh, pajamas, although they're not. It's just that I've worn this shirt for uh, maybe let's call it days. But on mine are swordfish. Not bad. Not bad. I did wonder. Very similar. Yeah, swordfish. Not dolphins. Not orcas. But swordfish. Not not any particular reason why, but just swordfish. Well, you've got the excuse because you it's nine o'clock where you are. It's three it's three p.m. here, so um, you've got the excuse there, right? I'll take it. <laughs> um, so what I want to do with like my like the order of my questions have been like in chronological order. So I want to start with how did you first move into that line of work? What 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 happened? Why did you want to go into that line of work to start with at Marineland? Um, circumstances. That was just it. I was never a dream of mine. It was never an aspiration. I never went to school in any way, shape or form in the hopes of being directed towards any specific industry, uh, especially that of uh, animal, animal welfare, animal care, anything of the sort. Uh, I mean, I had an iguana when I was a kid. I had cats. I had dogs. I loved animals in the way that most would. You know, I felt as though I had powerful and special relationships with them. But, you know, no more than anyone else. I just wasn't. But I would call myself a animal lover but certainly not uh, anyone with no aspirations professionally i went to school for audio engineering and what was called uh, multimedia post-production back in 1999 and uh, six months later all of my otherwise expensive courses became free downloads on the internet so i was uh, my skill set was obsolete fairly quickly but because i was uh because i was local to marine land like it was Mm-hmm. I didn't live terribly far from it. And the, the, the other, the big city that I lived close to was about an hour and a half away, which is Toronto. You know, the thought of getting a job there and trying to break into any audio engineering field was at the time seemed like it was going to be a hell of a long journey path and, and an expensive one. If I was, to, if I was to try to live up there. And then I happened upon a ad in a newspaper, a print newspaper. It said, uh, you know, the personal one ads, the job one ads, um, see, when it was marine land seeking marine mammal trainers assistance well I didn't assume that my resume had much on it but it seemed to me like hey I'll give it a try it's something that for sure interests me I mean I, I can't imagine that it wouldn't anyone it, it intrigued me and uh, I mean I was young enough and I thought I was aesthetically pleasing enough and I thought I was athletic enough that at least they'd have they'd give me a bit of a look so uh, I, I gave them a call. I picked up a phone and they said, you know what? You, you're exactly what we're looking for. Uh, there's, a, there's a major turnover rate here amongst the trainers. So you actually have quite a good chance of getting hired. What? Turnover rate? That struck me as odd. But 
so I, so I typed up and created a resume and I drove to Marineland and handed it in. And I got a, a phone call on the landline inviting me to an interview. I drove to the interview. I never tweeted about it because there was no social media. And uh, that was it. Next thing I know, they're asking me some, some questions about uh, my experience with wild animals. And uh, of course, the only experience I had was owning an iguana. But nonetheless, it was still uh, enough for them to say, OK, what size boots do you have? Next thing you know, I'm feeding orcas. And within months of that, I'm jumping off the rostrums, which is the face of the orcas. When you see those trainers jumping up in the air, you know, within months of, of happening upon a, a, uh, a, an ad in the paper that, that, you know, piqued my curiosity, I was, I was swimming with orcas. It's crazy. Did you, did, you have, uh, did you have any moment where you thought, this is like unbelievable, this must be like a dream? Because when I was younger... I, that's what I wanted to do. I, I, when I went on holiday once, I went to swim with dolphins at a park that would have been very similar to Marine Land. I loved, do you know the movie Free Willy? Of course. Loved that film. That's the tattoo I was talking about. That's from that. Nice. So we kill it. Wow. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. So the, the older, um, the older trainer in that film gives the, the main character a wee wooden Indian carving. Um, Native American car um, carving, I should say, um, of a killer whale, and I always just thought that was really cool. So I just got my tattoo guy to just do a do a two D like one one way of yeah, it. very cool. Um, so that was always like a, that was like a dream of mine. Is I wanted to do that. Did you feel that when you started doing this? Did it feel yeah. like crazy? It felt to me like I was I had a sense of belonging because here was exactly things that I was good at doing and I enjoyed doing. There was there were a few days that I went to work in anticipation of having a bad day not to say that there aren't some very bad days there were like nightmarish days but mm -hmm. uh obviously they were uh they were uh something i could i could tolerate in light of the good days and uh it just seemed for me like a really perfect fit i'll say it on day one despite the fact that i didn't love the conditions that the animals were living but who was i to, to speak to them of, of them uh, this was a celebrated industry. This is a place that was wildly successful. I'm, I'm assuming the professionals know what the hell they're doing. I'm just there to clean scrub buckets at least, right? I'm day one. What do I know what I'm doing? But I, I do recall in that moment as I'm feeding Candu a, uh, you know, 12,000 to 15,000 pound bull orca and I'm putting fish into his mouth. And I remember just being like, and uh, one of the senior trainers says, do you want to touch him? And I, I still, to this day, cannot tell you what it felt like to just look over at the trainer who's like, go ahead and touch him. I, I mean, to, just to be told that I could be within a certain proximity of this animal, never mind feed him. And then to be told to touch him, that feeling of touching a whale for the very first time is a one very few people in the world will ever do. Number two, you know, in the context, it's strange now, but in retrospect, uh, this was powerful, man. This was really powerful. This is where I was like, I'm not going anywhere. This is it. This is it. Yeah. You know, and then I guess you could say it was a dream job. I wouldn't have known it, but I fell ass backwards into what I felt like a job that I've, I had the most belonging in. And I felt most comfortable as myself, oddly, uh, in. I was really able to. Uh, it's a strange it's a strange place to work. Uh, Marineland is is exceptionally strange. Uh, but the industry itself is a strange place to work. We've got really young, dynamic people, and it's fun. And you know, and again, it, it, you know, I don't want to stress the fun part. But when you're when you are young, it's a 
it's a great place. I mean, shit, you're half a rock star. You go to the bars later, everyone's got everyone's got the drinks for you covered. You know, you're bringing your friends sometimes after hours for shits and giggles to go hang out with dolphins and whales. Just, I mean, it's a mom and pop joint. It's not some big corporation. So, I mean, it, 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 you became family with the family. It was just said and done. It was just, it, it quite literally was that. It's, it's a mom and pop joint just that got wildly successful and, uh, you know, purported to be uh, major employers of the area and to be major this, major that. But at the end of the day, it really was quite a small operation. So uh, when you got into it, it did feel like sort of family. And so then you were training walruses and Smushy comes into the story. Um, for anyone that won't know, what happened with Smushy and her imprinting on you? So she came to us at approximately two years of age, which uh, for, in my experience, was quite old for us to receive captive walruses. So normally the babies, they bring them to you very young. And so uh, two walruses were delivered to us. Now, when we assess their health, we have to put a needle in their spine and, and uh, draw some blood, try to get an assessment, send it to a laboratory. Well, we were doing that on uh, one of the two, so not Smooshy, in fact, the other one. And uh, while we were wrestling her down, so bear in mind, she's about, you know, a little over 200 pounds at that point. But it still takes four or five guys, uh, humans, of, of great proportions to try to hold these animals down because despite the fact that they may only weigh 200 pounds, it's 200 pounds of muscle you've not known. <laughs> so it does take quite a, it does take quite a crew to hold them down while we were doing this and trying to hold down the one uh, walrus while we were trying to draw blood from her. Smooshy was becoming quite agitated and her 200 pounds was becoming quite disruptive, trying to climb us and the scene and whatnot. So I elected to abandon uh, myself as a, as a weight on the one walrus and try to coerce her to get away from the scene. But in doing so, and, and, and anomalously, as explained in, by science and anyone who's observed this, in that moment when I put my hands in front of her face to try to calm her, uh, I imprinted on her. She opened her nostrils and she took, it's as, if she, it's as if she absorbed my information. So everything about me, she sort of downloaded onto her brain. The sound of my voice, what I look like, what I smell like which is all survival keys uh, that calves and moms uh, have. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, uh, you know, it's an evolutionary uh, tool so that animals can uh, recognize each other in herds of thousands and tens of thousands even, right? You've got a, you've got a mother and calf that need to, to be bonded and, uh, and, to, and to stay and, protect, uh, and to be protected. So, you know, that, so th this imprint is something that happens. What's odd is that it happened at two years of age and it, that it happened uh, on a human to a walrus. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. what happened. It's crazy. Um, so then, then came, there must have came some moments or one moment where you decided um, what was happening was wrong and you didn't want to be a part of it. Was there one moment or was it a combination of various moments? It was several moments over, over a period of several years of several varying degrees of resolve at my end of what it is that I was going to do about it. When it ultimately came to my quitting, um, there were a bunch of things that had to have happened for me to be able to quit or to, to allow myself to leave in good conscience. And uh, you know, over a long period of time, I managed to fulfill those things, which was so to allow for Smooshy to be uh, fed by other trainers with the confidence that she's not going to die. And that took some time. Okay. I had to be weaned off her. So I couldn't quit in those circumstances. Yes. I was documenting evidence amidst a period of time in the hopes that if things got ugly, I would reveal them. 
Um, you know, I can't explain why I was doing these things. I didn't have a specific plan involved. I can't tell you why it is we do the things we do. I can't explain why it is my journey has led me the way that it has or that, or what the motivations of my decision-making are. I can only tell you what has become and where we are today. But here I was taking photographs and taking and doing all the things I had to do for what would eventually be a moment where I could leave. And that moment came when I walked in one morning and, um, you know, it was amidst a period where uh, the conditions were really, really foul. And uh, the resolve of Marina, which even today is, is, is a continued practice, a cruel and continued practice, is they, had a, they have an archaic water disinfection system that just does not work. And so they just resolved to put uh, more and more chlorine in it to try to fix the water. Uh, the issue with that is, as you would know, is the effect on humans just as well as animals is awful. And so animals started to, in some cases, uh, have their eyes bleed, fall out, uh, patches of fur fall out. We had some animals die amidst this period, skin flaking off this and that. <clears throat> All very awful. So uh, I I'd walked in one morning. It was just shortly before the park was set to open, only weeks before. And I as I opened the door, I walked in, it, it, the, the hit, the, the, the smell, and the pungence of the chlorine was such that I got an immediate headache. It felt as if it punched me in the head. I said, I looked over my manager. I said, I can't do this no more. And then he looked at me and he said, uh, <laughs> sometimes, and this is a weird one, but it was, it did prove to be quite motivational. He said, you know what I like about you, Philly? The more shit we throw at you, the more you take it, keep coming back. When I thought, you know, that's the end. If I'm going to keep taking shit and keep coming back, then it's going to be against Marine Land. It's not going to be, uh, it's not going to be for them. Yeah. And that was it. I put, I pushed the button. I'd already had a two week, uh, I'd already had a two week uh, notice set in my phone. I just needed the courage to push the buttons. And that was it. I pushed the button. I CC'd everyone. My manager was sitting across from me. He's got the email in real time, two weeks. And uh, they didn't, it didn't take, I, I left within days. I, I didn't have to stay any two weeks. I, I did what I could to, to do what I could to make sure in my conscience that I was leaving the place in, in as best as hands as I could. But, and then within months of that is when the whistleblowing came because uh, Marineland couldn't make good with a number of the deals that we had, which again, like I'd stressed earlier, there was a number of things that had to happen in order for me to leave. One of which was I had to stay, I had to uh, be readily available and uh, both I, I was willing, but Marineland had to be uh, willing and accepting of having me come back. Should any problems with Smooshie's health arise? Well, health issues did come. And one day I decided to show unannounced and Marineland tried to keep me out of the park. I got in, I saw Smooshy. She was, uh, I would, I would describe her as possibly near death. Um, you know, I don't, I don't say that very often. And, uh, <clears throat> and so the vet saw me and she's, she, you know, she looked at me, she says, we weren't allowed to tell you, sorry. So we got medication to her. We got fish, we got water, we hydrated, we did all these things. I snapped a photo and that's when I elected, you know, months at this point, weeks after, oh, almost months. Uh, the weeks after quitting that I was now going to, to blow the whistle on Marine land. And that time was against Smoosh and the other animals. And if I didn't stick my, my neck out and put my name and face to all of the stories that, uh, that would emerge over time, because again, it wasn't just me in the end, it would be an excess of 12 whistleblowers. So it was a number of us that would eventually come out. I was one of the first, but then regardless, the first story that did come out uh, included uh, seven other whistleblowers, six others, nonetheless. Um, and that was it. And then life, and then life changed drastically from that moment. Well, yeah. So then you started this mammoth campaign of what nine years to have Smushy um, moved from that facility to a, a safer one where you could see 
Seer, and now Marineland are suing you for, I think the original sum what was $1.5 million. Is that yes. still the case now or has that changed? <laughs> so they uh, they they made amends amendments to the to the claim, and uh, they had said something to the tune of reducing damages to one dollar, and uh, I don't know. It was a very confusing period when they were doing these amendments. Nonetheless, they've changed it. It's now like one point two seven three. I don't know what it is. Whatever the price, whatever the price is, it's always it, it always just continues to put a smile on my face because I mean, <laughs> frankly. I'll, the best advice I ever got to my lawyer because, you know, I, I get myself into a little bit of trouble, but he did say, uh, he did say to me, well, you're already sued for 1.5 million. Why not make it three, five, 10? I'm like, I like that, man. If one point, I, I could never pay $1.5 million. It's, it's absurd <laughs> to suggest that I even have <laughs> a fraction of that. Well, why don't, we may as well make it 10. So yeah, yeah. They sued me for $1.5 million for uh, plotting to steal Smooshy the Walrus. And even send the police to your house, like you were saying there. Oh, it's not just that. They've sent goons, tough guys to my house. The owner himself would drive around with a gun uh, and, and would provide me with threats. Uh, the police were here. They caught him. I say caught him. They, they saw him with their cameras drive by no less than a dozen times. Uh, but despite the fact he was coming by repeatedly and driving very slowly by the house and whatnot, uh, they said that didn't constitute harassment. Okay uh fair enough and you know protect yourself is the best advice i can give you out there don't wait on the police to somehow try to rationalize uh um situations that they're not going to understand an old rich man can be dangerous he can be despite the fact that he pays uh the city at large sums in taxes and provides the police officers with free admissions to marine land he can still be a dangerous man yeah that almost makes him dangerous if he has all that or if he does all that I understand why the public enjoy their private tours. I used to I used to tour them. Do you have any do you have any sympathy for people who go to these parks now, even with this all this information out there? Honestly, this is gonna sound maybe a little bit, but the sympathy I have for them is that they're they're being left behind in a world that's moving forward. And I'm not just meaning that in this particular subject. I mean anyone that can rationalize going to Marine Land is definitely lagging behind in a far other ethical issues and uh you know i i so i empathize with them that they are uh of the sort that i don't imagine that i don't imagine are uh that the future is not going to be kind to just so, some people that allow for and and endorse and are blind to certain things it's just not it's just not you know the shame of it all is they just don't know it themselves you know you almost want to say to them hey give your head a shake if you think this is okay, what else do you think is okay going on in the world? Like, come on. So I empathize that their, their route to uh, wherever it is that you have to go in life to hopefully sleep at night on the, on the eve of your death. <laughs> I hope that they, I hope that they can get there faster than, uh, than what I imagine it's going to take because uh, that's, that's a hell of a lonely and introspective place at the end of your life. When you start realizing that uh, you were wrong about a lot of things. Yeah. Um, but you so you have had some success that you that are shown in the documentary Canada's now banned the captivity of dolphins porpoises and whales um, how did that feel having that success having some some sort something to show for all this campaigning and effort this is what is so strange and I don't know if it's unique to me or not but I haven't yet 
felt an iota of pride. I haven't yet felt an iota of a fiber of, uh, of, of celebratory uh, sentiment. I, anytime I allow myself, even for a moment, to relax amidst all this, I get flooded with anxiety and emotion like you wouldn't believe because I start to allow myself to believe maybe it's almost over, you know, maybe it's because I'm still amidst a nightmare and a mission. I'm, I'm, I'm very steadfastly focused on what it is that I want. And I want that walrus and her baby moved. They're dying on display right now. And it's awful. Smooshy is the last surviving walrus, if not for the baby that, uh, that they forced <laughs> her to have. I mean, it really is just a very disgusting and very, 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 very dark story to the tune of far darker than anyone even knows, despite the documentary and everything else. Uh, you know, that was a very, uh, um, that was a very um, romantic piece. It could very well have been made a lot darker. Uh, not to suggest that that's a criticism of it. I like the story that's told, but uh, some of the things that are overlooked were done in such a way that it, it you know, it just, it, it steers the story in a, in a much darker way, place. But that's how I feel more than not is I'm looking for the relief of one day being free of having to fight Marineland, of having to defend against Marineland. The, all these laws and everything else, they're great. And yes, they're all huge milestone and stepping stones to what it is that I want. But I won't allow myself to relax until I get it. Like I'm staying hungry. I drive a 2009 truck. That's not going to change for a long time. Do, will you, is there any, when the time comes, when hopefully that we get Smooshy out of that facility, do you stop there or is there more to be done? Well, so ultimately it becomes a question of what concessions I'd be willing to make with Marineland because that doesn't happen without us uh, resolving our legal dispute. So, that's a concession I've been offering Marineland for a long time is I, I'll stop campaigning against you. It's not that I want to walk away on account of the fact that I'll be giving up on other animals. That's not the case. I want us to think that my work here is done. We've passed rigorous laws. We've inspired new ones. I'm not uh, the animals at Marineland. I bring a lot of attention to, I don't have to be the one bringing a lot of attention to, but I am. And I, and yet I'm doing so consciously, in Marine Land's face saying, you should have dealt with me a long time ago on account of the fact that you haven't, I'm now going to destroy you. Because you didn't make a, a decision that would have been financially prudent long ago, I'm going to make your, I'm going to directly make your refusal to move, move those walruses cost you. So th that's my bargaining chip. They want, you know, they want my silence number to sign NDAs. They want me this, they want me that. Well, I'm willing to not trespass, if you will, around that park. I don't care to ever have to go back. I mean, it is it a dream of mine to go and actually get some of the whales out of there? Yeah. Would it be a concession I would take if they move the walrus that, that I would agree to never go back there? Yeah. Would I stop tweeting about them? Conceivably. Would I not destroy them in a book? I don't know. But there are concessions I'd be willing to make. But the idea that the fight from Greenland's animal suddenly stops, no. Does it become less impactful with me gone? It doesn't have to. Why does it have to be me doing the things that I do? The images that are provided by me are provided by people that paid admissions to go into Marine Life. Some of the overhead footages that you see that are, that are from helicopters or drones, I don't know. They're given to me anonymously, but, those are, but people that are, have those capabilities are just as well free to produce those things themselves and have those videos go viral. And they can just as well be spokesperson on TV. You know, I did it because I do have a mission and I'm still on that path. 
so I don't know. I, I don't know what we haven't had that conversation seriously enough. But am I willing to give things up? I mean, quite frankly, at this point, I feel like, you know, there's a time to declare victory. Some people do it um, like halfway on their journey. You know, they, they, they relax. I can just tell by being, by, by being conscious of myself and, and how it is that I'm going, that I'm not going to be satisfied until they're absolutely destroyed. You know, I am a nightmare for them. They don't want that. Look, it's worked. I'm, it's working. So I have to be, I have to be dangerous and effective. And my, it's because I've weaponized their lawsuit. If we were to eliminate the fact that they were suing me and, and lying about me and doing all these things now, and, and I got the objective of getting my animal out, in a, you know, before her, her, her imminent death. Yeah. Okay. I'm satisfied to walk. Sure. Maybe. But I don't want to, I'm not going to call that giving up. I, I would, that's the moment I would be quite prideful because I have had an objective. And I, while I appreciate a lot of, the, of everyone watching it, it's not their mission. This is my mission. Like, I appreciate the eyes that we managed to get on the animals. I appreciate the support. I appreciate the outcries. I, I appreciate the hate. But this is entirely on my shoulders. All I'm doing is, is, is showing what is obvious. Anyone's capable of doing that. And now enough people know it that there's enough momentum. I could probably moonwalk out of this thing and be forgotten about very quickly. And if Marineland had done this some time ago, it would be the case. People would still be talking about the animals, perhaps not to the magnitude, perhaps what, what would be spoken about wouldn't be quite as articulate because not a lot of people have the experience I have that I've accrued in the last 10 years, largely thankful uh, to Marineland um, because now I, you know, because I've been spreading words so often, I've, I've become quite good at it. And all of this could have been done. But no, instead, we've got documentaries, The Walrus and the Whistleblower, which you can now watch, I believe, on if you get Amazon Prime UK in Scotland or wherever the listeners are. You know, we've got documentaries now. We've got a free Kiska campaign that is virtual as we speak. It's it's gone uh, not virtual, rather. It's gone. Uh, it's gone viral as we speak. So. I don't know. I feel like Marineland could have done themselves a favor long ago, and if they still want to do themselves a favor, I mean, if I was willing long ago to, to make concessions, it's easier now. I mean, A, she's closer to death. B, so are they. So let's end this fucking thing. Yeah. Um, and also, just just while we're, what you mentioned there of the, doc, the documentary and um, the Save Kisa campaign, um, I'll link everything in the show notes. So we'll, we'll link the Save Smoothie campaign where people can donate, where people can help, yeah, your social medias and everything like that. Um, you, me you mentioned there that Smoothie had a baby. And so that's, that was a crazy event to have happened. Why, why is that? Well, because the math doesn't quite add up because the last male that died at Marineland died uh, sort of mathematically impossibly close to when uh, Smushi would have been, uh, would have, where the baby would have been conceived. So it should be noted that Marineland has never had successful walrus um, uh, conception or birth of any sort. It's a very difficult thing to achieve in, in captive settings, in fact, except for they're quite successful in it um, in Belgium and in Germany. And what we do know is uh, they're experts at it. They're experts at insemination, etc. Well, we know that, uh, I know with absolute certainty, without a doubt, without question, that, uh, that people from Belgium, trainers, uh, were down at Marineland and they were supposed to take Smooshy 
and bring her back to Belgium. Now, I've had a whistleblower come out and tell me that there was a lot of manipulation going on between the, the Belgian vets and Swooshy, things that she did not enjoy. And I, the, the person that I spoke to couldn't elaborate on exactly what was happening. But shortly thereafter, it was announced that she was pregnant. So if you do the math that a necropsy is being performed and then the sperm is being extrapolated, because that's what we do with all our, uh, that's what we did with the whales and, and most of uh, some of the other uh, species of animals is when you do a necropsy, which is the equivalent of an autopsy for humans. You keep the sperm and you freeze it. Is it conceivable that marine land inseminated smooshy? I don't see any other way that they that she that she would be that there would be a successful birth there. I don't see how else it could be. If I'm wrong, okay. So then they 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 hit a one in a million. If the whistleblower who told me this information, having not exactly known what was happening, but when you tie it together, it becomes quite evident that you've got experts from a, from a facility that are experts at making walruses pregnant. And the only reason that the, the export was canceled was by virtue of COVID. So uh, these animals were stuck there. And that I'm told actually a contract, or Marineland did pull some last second uh, demand for extra money. And uh, so it, it nullified the contract, but Smooshy ultimately did not leave and then gave birth at the park. Um, the baby and, and Smooshy were immediately separated at birth and now they uh and now that baby's performing they've got them they got the baby chasing they got the baby chasing trainers around on stage for fish in the 90 degree sun waving like this to the people while it's gobbling fish it's just it's just awful it's just awful yeah. and there's a there's a part in the documentary where you're trying to where you're trying to get the bill passed to make it to ban and the captivity of whales, dolphins, and porpoises. And there's a part when the senators are talking about when you have you used drugs that were intended for the animals. And do you think that was purely just to smear your character over this? And one more question: Do you think they are as Marineland tried to do the same thing with, say, your recreational use of cannabis? Even I'm, I'm assuming it's, it's legal there. I'm sure, right? Legal. Yeah, yeah. No, we're no longer banditos. This is this is my uh, weapon of choice. That's my delivery method of, of choice. I am an avid cannabis smoker. And uh, if not for my battle for marine mammals in, in Canada, I think I would very well be, be fighting for uh, or advocating yeah. for cannabis use. But uh, for that matter, it, it's legal now. So it, it's uh, it would have been wasted energy. In fact, they both bills passed at the same time. In fact, I was in the Senate when the bills were passing simultaneously. So it was kind of momentous. Wow. It was momentous for me because I was able to celebrate with lawyers by lighting up a little bit. But uh, uh, they never made a specific note of my cannabis use as uh, as a problem, although they did mention that I was like, you know, a drug abuser and, and whatnot. And so the, the whole premise of what they did when they accused me of stealing the drugs is it was a cover for the fact that the veterinarians were providing controlled drugs to uh, myself, other employees, uh, the owner himself, John Holder, he was actually consuming some that were made for animals only. Um, although it should be noted that the, the, the drugs that, that, that animals take, they're all human drugs. And so specifically what we're talking about is Valium is that, uh, you know, I, I had been prescribed Valium for a number of years from my, from my, um, from my, my doctors. And I was taking it to help me sleep at night because I, you know, I suffer from depression and stuff. These were very dark, dark years of my life near the end there of course i wasn't exactly conscious of it i was just living life on pills that's what becomes you're not like oh wait you're depressed because your life sucks because you're surrounded by misery you're just like oh more pills right 
not to suggest that I was an abuser. It's just that that's, you're just not conscious sometimes of what it is that, uh, of, of, of how you're operating because you're compromised a little bit, right? Your operating system is compromised. Well, mine was for a number of years. And so, and it actually explains why I transitioned from, um, you know, antipsychotic meds to marijuana use. It, it actually is part of the story, but nonetheless, Marinelands veterinarians were giving this, there was investigations by the college of veterinarians. They of course will never actually, uh, uh, punish members of their own sort of faculty right so uh but nonetheless the investigations because there was investigations happening a marine land thought to uh to smear me and they put it in the in the actual claim uh but we don't have to defend against that anymore because obviously as marine land amended their statement of claim over time they very quickly but quietly eliminated that because, uh, you know, any more attention to that would bring me to speak and offer clarity. So you ask a question, I offer the perspective and the truth of why it is. So it just became evident that this was a subject they no longer wanted to be touched on. And so they, they used it to smear me and to defend that I was a, a thief, that I was stealing drugs and whatnot. But at the end of the day, that was a, a very convenient, as all of their accusations are, to hide uh, their crimes which at the end of the day is, you know, the vets should not be giving out controlled drugs. And, and, and while I was, while they were not being malicious, they had good intentions. It was really, I only really got the drugs personally, uh, those specific ones, because uh, I was just out of a prescription. It was just a question of if they would give me four or five tabs at a time. And that would last me almost a month because I would take half a tab. I mean, we're talking, we're not talking. Their stories is it's always quite romantic and fantastical, but uh, truth be told, uh, when they made the accusations, and this was some months after I'd left, I provided them back as evidence, like provided to my lawyer, and then we made an exchange, but it was all noted and documented that I uh, still had them. I still actually had in excess of those, those the drugs that they were giving me because well, I wasn't an abuser. I used it because it helped me sleep at night when I couldn't. Uh, I was far more dangerous to myself and life in general uh, on no sleep than I was waking up feeling like a bag of shit because I took Valium the night before. But, you know, the, the vets were trying to help me just as they were trying to help everyone. I mean, when they were giving out antibiotics, it wasn't because they wanted to kill you. It's because you were sick. Here's 10 days worth of antibiotics. Spare yourself going to the fucking doctor. We spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on this shit and throw it out all the time. Here you are, Sally. Get well soon, you know? Mm. Yeah. Was getting that bill passed your biggest achievement thus far, do you think? No. I mean, on paper, you might say, you might say, mm. oh, that's the one that yielded the, you know, it's in the history books, if you will. So that's the yeah. one where, okay, in the Canadian legislature, it'll be legislation that will be known that in our history, I will have had hand in helping create and pass something. That's cool. For me, the most noted success is, is Marine Land's demise, is the fact that, mm. is the fact that this was a burgeoning business. This was a, this was largely a, uh, wildly and i don't even know that that word properly summarizes just the extent of how successful marineland was in this area but the fact that we took that from them and their their iconic jingle now works for us like you know it's catchy everyone loves marineland well now it's everyone hates marineland you know it's like yeah. that, that when that jingle comes up it it, it used to it used to arouse like a, a, a positive sentiment and you know the kids would be getting out of school and get ready for summer and all this stuff you know, everybody, when that song comes on, it filled you with joy. I mean, they conditioned an entire, uh, like an entire country and regions and upon regions and legions of people to feel like that, to be conditioned to feel how much they loved Marineland. That's gone. And so the fact that we killed 
the spirit of Marineland. That's the biggest achievement. That was, that was the beast. The rest are all stepping stones towards what was the ultimate goal, which is to eradicate it. I want it gone. Yeah. You'll know when I'm, when I'm celebrating. I've yet to. You'll know when I do. I've used to smile. I used to party. I used to be quite happy. Great <laughs> lines on my face and the skinny Phil. You'll see a different version of Phil one day, jumping off some stage at some music festival. you be like, oh, <laughs> fuck is happy again. Here we go. Mm-hmm. So you'll know when I'm celebrating. Right. I think we all look forward to seeing that. Um, oh, me too. <laughs> uh, is there any scenario where these sea parks or zoos are acceptable, do you think? No, not anymore. No? No, they're uh, at this point, they're holding on by the skin of their teeth, looking at what is the best form of transition to something else. They themselves don't precisely know. You can see the marketing campaigns have entirely changed. The focus of their of their marketing has changed. The emphasis of the investments of their parks have changed. Uh, board members and, and entirety of ownerships have, multiple, have changed multiple times. Uh, this is a this is something that is spiraling out of control, and and uh, the interest in uh, North America is gone. So it becomes a question of sustaining until uh, transitioning. Now that's not to say that it's not wildly successful in other parts of the world. China, as we speak, are uh, are building parks in droves, and the demand for animals are, are such that um, you know a lot of, a lot of animals are still being captured from the wild. But there will be a demand for already captive animals. My guess is at some point, SeaWorld probably starts to partner and ship towards China and, el- and other places. That's going to be an element of, of great controversy. So my hope is that there's going to be a whale sanctuary that once erected here in North America or on both the east and west coast with plans already and, and shovels in the ground and in, on the east coast. But that's more suitable for beluga whales, possibly orcas. But, you know, there's, there's plans for other ones. In the next 30 or 40 years, this will exist. We'll have sanctuaries for whales. So it becomes a question of whether or not they're out, they're built fast enough and whether or not the zoo industry is going to, um, you know, work side by side or, or fight. So it does become a question of, of time, but no, these parks don't stand a chance. Those whale, we're getting those whales. It's just a question of whether they become, whether they retire in sanctuaries or if they get spread out in parks, it becomes a question of profit, you know, because a sanctuary is not going to be in a position to pay for whales. And uh, those are assets. Those are assets. They're going to want money. So unless somehow we can incentivize places like SeaWorld and Marineland to, to, to give, uh, to partner with these, uh, these sanctuaries, you know, it's just going to be an uphill battle. It's going to be a war for those whales for sure. Yeah. Um, and what would you say to anyone who's considering going to Marineland now? Spare yourself the $55 to $100. Save, save your soul. <laughs> um, <laughs> or if you do go there and you feel uncomfortable, then uh, do something about it. Take pictures. Talk about it. You know, it, it doesn't, you don't need to be an expert. You don't need to be, you don't need to have a blue check mark on Twitter to speak your truth. And at this point, nobody can't help but see what, what level of suffering is happening there. So what I would like for those people to advocate for those animals. You paid to help, uh, to help. Uh, to help their suffering, to help further their suffering, now make a contribution uh, equally uh, to make amends for that. So do something. I'm not saying donate to savesmooshy.com, the same price as admissions. So if you want to, feel free. That might make you feel better. It would certainly help me. Uh, but do something. Do something. Tweet about it. Talk about it. Friends don't let friends go to Marineland after they find out that it's shit. So spread the word. But yeah, by all means, if you're going to waste your money and go there, 
at least don't lie to yourself at the end of the day. If you convince yourself you had a good time, then maybe you need to take a, far, a little more introspective look at, uh, at, uh, at, at what, what ethics you're comprised of because there's far too gray a line in uh, some of those parameters. Yeah. So there's, there's two questions I wanted to ask that are probably the darkest, but I want, I want people to, I know the, I know that the answers broadly, but that I want people to kind of hear to, so that, cause, cause these, the answers to these questions hit home for me. So the first one is how many, how many deaths since you left Marineland has there been of animals? And the second is where, what do they do when, when they die? So it's difficult to have an accurate accounting of how many animals have died because Marineland uh, tries to the best of their abilities and they are successful in burying animals very uh, secretly and quietly overnight. Uh, mm -hmm. And while that's a little easier to identify when the animals are older, it's not when they're newly born. And so, you know, with the banning of the, of the breeding of, of whales, that's why this year you're seeing that there's so, um, there's so significantly more deaths um, but yeah, they, uh, you know, the animal deaths are, are, are high. So what I can absolutely say is all of the walruses died except for Smooshy. And now she has her baby. So that would have been, I think, I believe six or seven walruses. I don't want to get it wrong because of my timeline, but that's at the, that's at a minimum, let's say six walruses. And then thereafter we go over to Belugas. Well, we know 11 have died in the past year alone. So if we're talking about the, de the decade, on average, five dying, four to five a year, three to seven in some cases, but let's call it four just to be conservative, four a year. You're looking at 50 dead whales, probably 60. And then if we look, if we go into like bears, deer, elk, and, and the rest of what happens there, that number very quickly escalates into the hundreds. But as far and as marine, the, the specific animals that I helped to legislate to protect, probably in excess of 50 have died. And this is needless. Oh, more than so, that. Wait, wait, there's seals too. Go on. A mm. lot of seals have died and sea lions. In excess of 50 have died. And this is needless because their life expectancy in the wild would have been a whole lot longer than it would be in captivity, right? And beyond that, much of the animals I just told you about live uh, outside of the public view. They're not even on display. The mm. seals are, are excess animals that live in a warehouse. Uh, some of the sea lions that don't perform because they're too old or they're, they've gone blind or they're, or they're not doing well. Um, they never see them in the light of day. They're just hidden in the back and they're just fed fish every day on drugs and made to live until the last day of their life. And that's it. It's awful. It's, uh, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, we've had a, there's a seal there that you will never see, that you have never seen. Her name is Delphine. She may have performed a hundred times over her lifetime being at Marineland now, which, which will have been easily about 20 years. She's blind. She's a gray seal. She's really old. She's suffering from some sores and everything. She's got his skin issues right now. They've got her on drugs. She just lives there. She just lives in the warehouse. She's just a seal that lives in a warehouse and suffers uh, uh, from, the, from its awful conditions. She's the only uh, gray seal. So she's the only one of her, of her species. Now, typically, they don't hang out very often. But nonetheless, you don't even know about that animal. Why does Marineland have that animal? It doesn't make any sense. But you know, there's a, there was a there was a time when the owner he was a hoarder. He was a noted hoarder, and he didn't he kept animals. He bred animals. He didn't care how sick they were. In fact, in some strange cases, he liked to have animals that were compromised on display because he said, and I quote, "They're unique." 
So this is what we are up against. And it's a new, new day and age with the owner being gone. But the unfortunate reality is since he's been gone, the animal deaths appear to have been to be ex- accelerating. But that has everything to do with a failing water system that we learned just last week that Marineland has been charged by the province and forced to fix. So whether they do or not, I don't know. But uh, we do know yesterday a criminal complaint was made against Marineland. And, I was, and that's at the provincial level. I'm assuming very soon there will be another one at the federal level. And, you know, with the multi-platform assault that Marineland's having with all the viral videos of, of the animal suffering happening right now, they're in, they're in really some deep trouble. We really have them where we want them. But, uh, you know, it's unfortunate because what we, what we really want is for the, the ces- cessation of animal suffering. Mm. Have you ever, do you find it difficult to maintain this frustration and maintain this fight? Because what it's been nine years, has there ever been like a small part of you that's thought, maybe I should just give up? Because it's no. just, it must be taking its toll. Yes, it takes its toll. And I know it from the people that see me or the people that used to know me. And that would say like, Phil, this is, you know, I, you know this is not conversations I have very often. It seems my world's become significantly smaller as, as a both result and consequence of this. But it took this level of sort of near obsession for justice and truth for this to be effective. But it encompassed the entirety of my life. What becomes of my life after this, I don't know. I don't know because... Uh, I've only ever known in the last 10 years a steadfast focus of in every which way, shape, or form that I can to debilitate marine land in every which weakness that I know that they have. It's made me an effective tool in a very niche thing, a very niche skill set. But at no point did I think I want to quit. No, this is, um, if this is the equivalent of a, of a pursuit in football for the big for the big cup or in North America, if it's the Stanley cup in hockey, that's what I want. And if this is what a career span is in, in a, in, a, in what would be a relative, uh, relative to a, to that of a professional athlete. Okay. That seems, that seems about right. I mean, I prepare for court. I prepare for a lot of things, much like a UFC fighter will prepare. I work out, mm-hmm. I try to run. I've, I've suffered an injury recently, sent me back, but nonetheless, I try to stay physically fit. I, I get angry. I get, I, I get pumped up. I listen to loud music. So I, you know, I, I function different. I have a different motherboard and it's, it's managed to, to be effective when I apply it, it to this, what becomes after, yeah. I don't know, but I, I'm not satisfied nor, nor have I had any inclination to quit. None. That's up to them. That's in there. That's in their that's in their court. I made promises. When I make a promise, I keep it. I made a promise to those animals. This doesn't end. This doesn't end until they're fucked. Well, they're fucked, but I made a promise to Smooshy that I'm coming to get her. So I've got two simultaneous promises going. So I got to get her out of there. Yeah. And so there's a, there's a scene in the documentary where you're cooking steaks. And you mentioned <laughs> that some people had said that it's hypocritical for you to eat meat and also advocate for animal welfare. Um. I'm, I'm not so sure that that's the case. I would say if you were if you were advocating for animal welfare, maybe the thing that you do with regards to eating meat is making sure you're not eating meat that's factory farmed or cause that causes animal harm. Maybe like I don't know if that's exclusive that you have to advocate for animal welfare. Then that means you can't eat meat. Well, it should be noted that I'm not, and and I, a, a I'm not advocating for for animal welfare in the broadest sense of the term. And I'm not saying that this mm. is something that I, that I somehow endorse uh, cruelty. That's not what I'm saying. But I don't feel on account of the fact that based on my experience, 
I'm revealing things that I believed to be wrong that is resonating with, with and in a very specific case. And we're talking about marine mammal captivity. And, and, and well, frankly, it's, it's specifically with regards to marine lands treatment of animals. I don't know that that makes me a spokesperson for factory farming. I just don't know that it does. Now, the fact that I grew up in a family of, you know, my father was a hunter, uh, but I grew up on, on, on meat and potatoes. My body functions best. My mind, too. I have to mention that when I eat meat, I am at my most effective steak specifically. But uh, the fact that I have to I, that I have to defend my diet is just a peculiar one. Um, but having said that, there is a level of hypocrisy in it, and I accept that. I look at my hypocrisy. I don't need to hear it from someone that doesn't, and that those tend to be the people that like are the most vocal, are the people that don't look at themselves. So when I turn around and I outright, and you may you may have noted in the documentary, I say I know there's hypocrisy in this. I, I admit it. There's absolutely hypocrisy, and there's ignorance in all of this. I'm, I'm I'm just as guilty on the other side of other people's campaign for animal welfare as other people who are on the other side of mine. But that just doesn't make me a spokesperson for factory farming. It just doesn't. So I eat steak. In fact, I had one yesterday, and I'm probably going to eat another one shortly after the end of this uh, <laughs> this this uh, podcast. Yeah. Um, so uh, I've only got, I've got a few more questions. Um, I want to be um, sympathetic to your time. Um, so do you think broadly, the thing I find about a documentary that kind of hit me the most is when you're talking about like what, what all you want is for Smushy to be moved from that facility to another facility. If Marine Line does that, it's all over. Do you think, it just seems ridiculous that they wouldn't do that, but do you think the reason they're not is because if they move Smushy, it's almost like an admission of guilt for them. Exactly. Do you think that's, yeah, okay. This is a promise. So when the, when the owner died, John Holler passed away a couple of years ago. Uh, he, he, he was uh, very clear and gave very concise, precise instructions to the, to the lawyer who's now operating within those parameters to never allow me to ever be with that animal. And so the lawyer sees that as a cash grab, any opportunity that he has to both defend against a lawsuit that's bogus, but that, that amount to some, some pretty impressive billable hours for him. He's just there to take as much money and squeeze as much money out he can on the promise of a, of a vengeance, a vengeance, vengeance uh, promise. So uh, good on him for being an unethical piece of shit. I hope one day, <laughs> legitimately, legitimately, I hope one day he's got the stones to, uh, to make good. And, uh, the, and, and, I'll, and I hope that when this is all said and done, he and I can maybe square up in the middle of a, of a fighting uh, ring of sorts, an arena, and we can fight and it can be sanctioned and it would be wonderful and we could pay admissions and we could both put up uh, a sizable amount of money and make it go to charity. But I would, I have to say, because I, I, because I do believe that man to be personally responsible for a number of deaths and all of the lies of Marineland. And uh, I, think that, I think that if I am Marineland's karma, then he should expect that uh, he's also going to have to uh, atone for his uh, for his abuse. And so I, I, I use the fighting uh, uh, thing as a you know you know I'm, just, I'm half I'm half joking. And Jesse's a very big man, but you know <laughs> David Goliath's story wouldn't it just be fitting that at the end I get to give a fucking free nap out to Marine Land's abusive lawyer? Wouldn't that be something? Aye, aye, aye. That's what people want to see. They don't want to see YouTube stars in the ring. They want to see that. That, man. Let's go. Let's go. Give me that chance. Yeah. Um, and so bringing us up to, up to today, um, there's there's a video that went viral of Kiska, the orca, and her tank just kind of floating. Um, it's very, very horrible. 
Um, but the thing I the thing I was wondering is, so Canada have banned the captivity of whales. So what does it mean to say that um, they're grandfathered by the law to still have Kiska in captivity? So what it means is you've got uh, property laws at the end of uh, in, you know in our that are that are protected, um, and they take precedence over new laws that would suddenly make it such that 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 your assets are being seized. I mean, can you imagine a law that would pass that suddenly uh, someone's coming to your house and taking what has always and historically been deemed as property? It's just not it, it's just not how it works. So in the, in the case of the new legislation, the animals are, you know, it gives the animals some rights. It does give them, um, it does give them a bit of a voice in the actual uh, piece of, of literature because, uh, you know, the, if they were to be moved, it has to be in the interests of the animals. So it's, a, it's actually quite a historic piece, quite, quite progressive. Uh, but because animals today are deemed property, all of Marine Land's animals were grandfathered in. Now, now they're not able to, to breed and, and some of the, some of the law does does apply to them uh, present day, but unfortunately, the the seizing of their animals is not one. Although there are some laws coming in the near future that, you know, not near not near future enough, but that could conceivably offer animal protections where suddenly they can be seized, and uh, that would be, I mean, that would be a, that would be a that would be something. But that's not something that that's not a conversation that won't happen in the legislation until the spring. So uh, Kiska doesn't have that time and neither does Smooshy and neither does any of the animals. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm looking for I'm looking for international outcry and a resolve now. I think I think we're looking at a, a mission that needs the attention of the world, needs major funding, but it needs something done because uh, I, I don't know a single person that could be satisfied watching this animal die and then simply allowing for that to happen. I just don't know how anyone can't even so much as make a small contribution or a retweet or whatnot to try to make something happen. But I just don't see how millions of people can't, can't change the fate of these animals. I keep saying it, but just because Marine land's dead, doesn't Marine, doesn't mean that the whales have to die. Yeah. And obviously we've mentioned that this, this will be taking a toll on you and you say like you, you, you go running and you're listening to like music and stuff like that. Is there anything else that you do to stay healthy and mind and body? I think that I think that I have a great tolerance for suffering, and I think mostly I just take it well. I don't know that I consciously cope. I know that sometimes I cry, maybe often, more often than I should. I know sometimes I can I, my behavior can be erratic. I know sometimes I I can be irrational for a moment. It takes me a long time to to remind myself of the long game. So, whereas you say. You know, how do, what do you do to stay mentally healthy? I would say, I don't know. I don't know exactly. I do know that when I run, now I haven't been able to actually run in, in excess of 10 months now, the voices in my head changed and I liked that. When I was working every day, I was a mailman. That's, that's 17 kilometers a day. That's, that's quite a lot of walking. The voices in my head changed. I know that when I eat a diet, more consciously that has less bread and, and, uh, and, 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 and carbs and, and is more, uh, in my case, red meat focused. I know I physically am more inclined to get off the couch than to lay there. I know that my sleep has always been my enemy, my lack thereof. Uh, but that's been largely addressed. I would say that with my 
strategic use of cannabis, I can just about, I can just about nail down five to six hours a night. And that's very important for me. That's gone a long ways. And I would say my mental suffering in, in the past was exacerbated with lack of sleep quite a bit. But no, I don't, I, I don't, I don't want, I don't know that I'm an example of someone who consciously did anything other than continue to sort of uh, not resist. And that's just what I've done. I think much of, much of our own mental suffering is that of resisting uh, things we can't change or trying to change things we can't or, or resisting change we can't. And I think that acceptance goes a long ways. Uh, and I think that <clears throat> I broke the barrier of acceptance a long time ago of, I don't care what becomes of me. I don't, I don't know how I'll be spit out once I'm chewed up, but the journey of being chewed will be such that I will make sure that I am a diamond to their fucking teeth, you know? So I don't know, maybe in the future, I'll have a Ted talk of how I, how I overcame it. But uh, that journey starts once I start to overcome it. I'm still, uh, I don't know. I'm not there. What, what do you want your legacy to be? Do you, have you ever thought about that? What, what people will remember you for? Yes. It changes every day, it seems. I want to be the guy who proved everyone wrong. Most notably, the people who think I did this for myself. The people that call me selfish, that say that I'm doing this for attention, that I'm, you know what? I'm doing what I'm doing in the way that I'm doing my way because it's effective. And every time I have that microphone, I may say, I may say me, 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 and I, but that's because I need that microphone. The microphone elsewhere is less effective. I always bring attention to those animals. I always have. It's been my focus since day one. It's what fuels me. I would not have gone the length of this journey if not for the fact that this was very genuine. And so for me, the legacy will be such that even the people that hated me, because maybe perhaps, I don't know why, I don't want to rationalize why, but I want even the supporters to be like, he ducked out. He did what he, he did what he came out to do. And then we never heard from him again. You know, I may have blue check marks around all my Twitters and Instagrams and shit, but that don't mean I got a tweet. That don't mean I got to share my life. It takes a toll to share your life. I have people that drive in front of my house because they see that it's on the, in the documentary. I have people pull over to the side of the road that I've not spoken to in 10 years and they show up and they want to sit down with me for hours of my time suddenly. You know, great, but also not. Yeah. I'm 44. I don't have children. It was never in the plans, but it, that, those plans got stripped away from me fairly quickly too. You know, I've got a lot of resolve and, and resolution on my personal life and, and focus to, to sort of redream, but that doesn't have to be shared with the rest of the world. First half of, of this journey did. So I do want at the end, I, I, it's not that I want my legacy to be known as someone who ducked out. I just, I want it to be known that I was, uh, I was genuine, you know, that I was real. I wasn't some disgruntled ex-employee with an ax to grind. I, I gave a shit about those animals. And uh, I hope that, that, I hope that at the end, that's not in dis no longer in dispute. Yeah. And before we wrap up and before I forget, I have a very good friend who I told her about the documentary before I'd even watched it. I would, I'd listened to, I'd listened to the Joe Rogan podcast. And then I, and then I eventually watched the, the documentary. Um, and she told me how much she loved the documentary. And when I said, I'm going to get Phil Demers on, my podcast, he said he's coming on. Um, she got massively excited and told me I need to tell you to say hi and that she loved you. So my friend Julia, 
loves you. She wants this on on recording. So before I forget. That's Julia? Yeah. Oh, well, thank you, Julia. You know, I'm going to say this uh, as wholeheartedly as I can in the circumstances, but I would say that I love you too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she'll get a kick out of that. Um, And yeah, so where can people donate to the cause? Where can people follow you? Where where can people learn more about this? Savesmooshy.com is a straight up contribution site. If you're looking for some merch, you can get uh, go to stealawalrus.com. You can get some shirts and stuff. They're quite nice. They're great. Uh, I get a I get a pro I get a portion of it, of course. Um, I'm largely walrus whisperer on uh, on my social medias, except for of late. I just sorry. I just recently opened a, a TikTok account. That one, my handle is Phil Demers. But you know, if you just Google whatever, you know, Instagram Phil Demers or Phil Demers something, it, it all comes up at some point. So I'm I'm not difficult to find, but um yeah that's it so watch watch the walrus and the whistleblower and uh, i try to encourage people to to be welcomed to my world because uh, a lot of people become quite disillusioned or, or, or their jaws hit the floor when they see just how crazy things have been and i emphasize that uh, none of it exists i don't exist without you guys without the support and so in every which way and, and i'm stressing to your friend julia where she says something to the effect of oh phil i love you it's like you know there is no me without you so uh you know come join the shit show man Perfect. And um, so, yeah, thank you so much for spending your morning with me. It's um, it was it's crazy. Like, I'm always very surprised at how of, of the people that I can get on this podcast and to have you on here. It's been a it's been an honor. And I'll get I'll get the shirt sent over. <laughs> <laughs> I normally say, oh, you don't got to do that. But yeah, you do. You got it. Yeah, yeah I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll do it with the with the caveat that you you need to post something on your social media and happy. say like get get me on there yeah happy to happy to Absolutely. yeah thank you so much for the time man oh it's my pleasure don't you know never stop just keep going next thing you know you're going to be on the rogan podcast oh here we go put that flight yeah, yeah that'd be great um but yeah keep up the fight and yeah i look forward to like seeing what what else what else you get out of it all right thanks stay tuned cheers man cheers so that's the end of episode 14 of the In Context podcast. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I enjoyed being in it. If you could please, again, like, subscribe, and follow wherever you're listening to the podcast, it does mean a lot. And if you could leave a good review, that does mean a lot and do a lot for the podcast. You can also watch the podcast on YouTube. My channel is GT Media UK, all one word. I also have a website where I post um, articles, um, opinion pieces, all the videos, all the audios on there. That's gtmedia.uk. And I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. The Facebook page is Gregor Thompson Journalist and the Instagram is Gregor Thompson, all one word. That's G-R-E-G-O-R-T-H-O-M-S-O-N. And until next time, I'll see you for episode 15 of the In Context podcast. Thanks for listening and have a good month.